1 Samuel chapter 27. We've been whittling our way through Samuel. Powerful book. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I hope you are. I'm going to read uh, chapter 27 this morning. And it is just a few verses. We've covered as many as 40 plus verses. This is a shorter chapter. Uh, it's only 12 verses. David flees from Saul. And we remember the last time he had another near miss. Saul was out hunting him to kill him again. David talked his way out of it. He uh, at one point took a piece of Saul's garment and escaped. Uh, this time he took his spear and water jug and showed that he could have harmed Saul but didn't. He had mercy on him. He had valued his life. So Saul breaks off the attack again. Uh, David knows at some point Saul will get wound up against him again and come. We're going to talk about that. But uh, I'm going to read you these 12 verses. Let's just thank God for the word this morning. Father, we just thank you that we can come here and we can worship and we can hear about what's going on in the body and we can get plugged in to what you're doing in the earth now. Father, we thank you that your word is timeless and it's alive and it's relevant to us. And so, Father, open up our hearts and minds, open up our spirits today so that these principles you tucked into 1 Samuel chapter 27 can come alive to us. Holy Spirit, that's what we ask this morning. Make the word come alive to us as individuals so that when we walk away from here, we'll have been stretched and we'll have new information and we'll have a closer uh, walk with you. We ask that all in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. David flees to the Philistines, chapter 27, 1 Samuel. Then David said to himself, now the chapter starts off good, he's talking to himself. Sometimes you have to talk to yourself because you need expert advice. Just remember that. <laughs> then David said to himself, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. So David arose and crossed over, he and 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with a household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. Now it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country, that I may live there. For why should, I, why should your servant live in the royal city with you? Achish gave him Ziglag that day. Therefore, Ziglag has belonged to the kings of Judah till this day. The number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided Jeshurites and Gerizites and Amalekites, for they were inhabitants of the land from ancient times, as you come to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. David attacked the land and did not leave a man or a woman alive. He took away the sheep, the cattle, the donkeys, the camels, and the clothing. Then he returned and came to Achish. Now Achish said, where have you made your raid today? And David said, against Nev and, uh, of Judah, and against Nev of the Jer Jeremelitises. And again, I don't know if that was right. Did I say Jeremelitises? That's a tough bunch of people there. Well, he wiped them out anyway. So 
and against Neb and the Kenites. David did not leave a man or a woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, otherwise they would tell about us, saying, so has David done, and so has David practiced all the times he has lived in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has surely made himself odious among the people of Israel. Therefore, he will become my servant forever. Short chapter, a lot of moving parts. We're going to pull it apart and, and, and enjoy the details in just a minute here. Now, David had escaped Saul's javelin two times. Saul tried to kill him when he was in his presence, playing the harp for him because Saul was afflicted by an evil spirit and he had lost his connection to God. So David's there and he dodges a javelin two times. He'd escaped Saul's sword two times. Saul had been out hunting him. He, he you know, was in these confrontations with him. Just by miracles of God, he was able to cut off a piece of his robe. He was able to take his spear and water jug. He survived the sword of Saul two times. Now, I know that baseball wasn't invented yet, but I'm pretty sure David understood the concept of three strikes, you're out. He wasn't going to give Saul a third swing at his life. Okay, so understand there's a, there's a little wisdom here, but you know, what do you do? And what he comes up with is, you know, he's looking around and he's evaluating things. Remember, he's talking to himself. And you know, the old adage is fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times and I'm the fool. Hello? Sometimes, you know, and as Christians, we need to wise up when dealing with people who are ungodly people or who are violent people who are aggressive people who are mean people you know today we call them toxic people Saul was as toxic as you could get he's throwing javelins he's got the sword he's hunting David David's got to make a decision here but he needs to listen to the Lord he doesn't want to put himself in a spot where his life is taken from him now he's a little desperate and we're going to see that when you get desperate sometimes you lower your standards about how you conduct yourself it's quiet this morning See, many times we're going to find ourselves in crisis in life. Don't lower your standard. Many times we're going to find ourselves dealing with difficult people who are just completely out of control. Don't lower your standard. If you get in the mud with the pigs, you're going to get dirty and the pig's going to have fun. Well, I'll just get in there. I'll just roll up my sleeves. I'll just give them a piece of my mind. Don't get dirty. Sometimes I've seen Christians get uglier than the people who were ugly with them first. And by the time it was all done, you weren't sure who is wrong anymore. Have you ever been there? Come on, first service. David's idea was to flee to the one place that Saul would just leave him alone. And see, that's what David's heart was. He just wants to go someplace where he can be left alone. Can anyone feel that this morning? Maybe you have children. Maybe you understand the bathroom is the one place you can be left alone. Right? Come on. Wake up this morning. Maybe. You know, I mean, he is tired of running. He is tired of dealing with conflict. If you've ever been just pursued and harassed by people, maybe you have the type of job that you're always solving other people's problems. There's sometimes we, the older I get, the more I just want to be left alone. What are you doing today? I'm going to be left alone. So he wants to flee. He wants to go to that one place that he'll just be left alone. David's option at the moment seems insane, but he wants to flee the land of Israel 
to the perennial enemy of Israel, the Philistines. I mean, it's just, we talked about this in other uh, chapters here, how, you know, there are some people when they do things, they have to flee to other countries. We have people who have fleed to Russia, fleed to Cuba. I mean, think about that. You know, you're in pretty much the the arch enemy of your country and you have to flee there because you're out of sorts with, with your own nation. And that's the predicament that David is in here today. He wants to go someplace to be left alone. The only thing he could think of is the land of the Philistines. Uh, he, he has tried to, to go there one time before. It didn't work out. Uh, he, remember the last time he was there, he was spitting on his beard and scribbling in the dirt and writing on the gates of the door. Do you remember that? He was scribbling and dribbling and all of that. And the guy said, he, this guy's crazy. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But he's going to head to the land of the Philistines one more time. Now, motives are important. Why is David fleeing to the land of the Philistines? Not because he's a traitor. You know, that would say something. If he, traded, if he was a traitor to his nation, if he turned his back on the people of Israel, that God had appointed him to rule someday. He's not fleeing to the Philistines because he's a traitor. He's not going there because he wants to adopt their idolatrous religious practices or their perverse culture. He's going for one reason, to escape Saul in the only place he won't pursue him. So that's the motive there. And, and you look... Uh, At verse one, then David said to himself, now I will perish one day, he's thinking, at the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me to the escape of the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair in searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape his hand. So that's his plan there in verse one. In verse two, he puts it into action. So David arose and crossed over, he and 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of of Magog, the king of Gath. Now, just realize, David's little group is growing here. He started off with three, four hundred. Now he's up to six hundred. That's a large group of people when you factor in all the the supporting people and the families and all of that stuff. So realize this is a this is a this is a mob that he's moving around, and he's getting too big and too clumsy to avoid Saul forever. So he realizes I've got to make a move. Now, notice something here. He's motivated to make a move. Why? Because he doesn't want to die at the hand of Saul. He takes his 600 men and he, he moves them. It's a daring thing to do. It's a, it's a big ordeal, but David puts it into action. He finds refuge with Achish, king of Gath. Now remember, Gath is Goliath's hometown. Who killed Goliath? Whose sword does David have? Hey guys, can I rent an apartment here? I mean, think about that. There had to be, I mean, it's a long time ago, but you, I mean, this was the number one hero. This was the, 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 you know, this was the pride, the crowning jewel of Gath. And here, David, yeah, I killed him. Can I live here? I mean, it's insane the way you think about where he chooses to go. But obviously he, you know, the, the Philistines knew him. Achish knew him. He had a reputation. Uh, you know, he, he takes his 600 men, he crosses over into Gath, and he finds refuge with Achish. Now, in, in 1 Samuel uh, 21, this is the time where David had an encounter with Achish before. He tried to get in there one other time, and Achish said to his servants in verse 14 of chapter 21, behold, you see this man ha- behaving like a madman? Why do you bring him to me? Remember, he was scribbling and dribbling. He was acting crazy. Do I lack madman that you have brought this madman to my presence? Shall he come into my house? So the first time he tries to get in with Achish, he tries to act crazy and it doesn't work. And Achish says, we've got no shortage of crazy people here. 
<laughs> Maybe you felt like that at times. You know, and it's like, uh, do I need this? And Achish didn't want any part of David at that time. Uh, in verse 3, this time Achish has a change of heart. He doesn't see David as mad. He, he sees, you know, a guy who's together. He's a leader. Uh, he, he's got, you know, a, a large group of warriors with him. And Achish figures, you know, maybe I could use this guy. It says, and David lived with Achish at Gath. He and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives. So he moves in, Achish takes him in this time. Now you might think, you know, Achish realizes he's not crazy at this point, but why would he take him in? He understands the issue that David has with Saul is very real at this point. And he understands that, you know, the, that he's enemies with Saul and so that, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so he sees this as an opportunity. Realize Achish is not doing this out of the kindness of his heart. He also knows having a friend like David is a much better thing than having David as an enemy. Achish understood every time David went to war against the Philistines, the Philistines got destroyed. Now, here's an opportunity the Philistines say, you know, you want to play for our team? Great. It's like a trade in baseball. You know, you got this guy hitting home runs all the time and, and beating you every game. So let's take him as a trade. And that's what's going on here. It's not there's an affinity between them or they're going to be best buddies or, you know, they're going to take long walks together on the beach. This is a political move. This is a military move. This is a safety move. And Achish lets him in with this great company of people. You know, and there again, just moving that many people into a place is going to disrupt the place. How do you think all the Philistines felt about this? I'm sure there was backlash. But it's a good deal for Achish. Why? Because now he doesn't have to face David as an enemy. And he might be able to use him to his advantage or so he thinks. Verse 4 Saul hears about David going to Gath. And look at the, the effect here is in, incredible. Now it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. What just happened in verse 4? David's plan worked perfectly. Anyone ever had a plan work perfectly? No. <laughs> no. But I mean, just every once in a while, just, I mean, he, he, he thinks to himself, he says, I got to do this. He gets up and he does it and it works perfectly. Just as he had anticipated, Saul quits pursuing him. Now he can be left alone. Now I want you to see something here. David's a leader and his plan was a gamble and he takes the gamble and it works out for him. Anytime you're a leader and you have to make decisions, if it works out great, you're the hero. If it doesn't work out, you're the goat. Realize people will turn on you if you make a, a consistent bad decisions. I want you to see that here. David has the, the Lord with him and he hears the, the urging of the Lord. He gambles this thing out here. He moves 600 people. The Philistines could have just swarmed them and killed them. But it works out. When leaders have tough decisions to make, they'll either be the heel or the hero. Nobody's right all the time. If you think you're right all the time, you're just kidding yourself. Even in leadership, you're going to make... You're going to make decisions that, you know, weren't the best decision. No one is right all the time, but listen to me. If you consistently make the wrong call, people will not follow you. You know, we look at this financial piece here, and, and I'm, I'm glad for this opportunity for our people, but when you consistently make poor financial decisions, you, and you get in a hole, you need help. 
You don't get out of the ditch by yourself. But when, if you're... You know, if you're a CEO in a corporation and you make one financial blunder after another, you get fired. If you're the head of your household and you and your wife make one financial blunder after another, you know, nobody trusts each other. You know, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to invest in that. And if you make the wrong decisions all the time, realize when you make decisions, you better get the counsel of the Lord. Because you can make a million mistakes and God will forgive you, but no one else will want to trust you including your spouse at times. I've done pastoral counseling for almost 30 years. I've had spouses come in and just be like, I don't trust them anymore. I don't trust their spending habits. I don't, I don't trust their investments. It is dead quiet here in first service. But David takes a calculated risk and he makes a right decision. Whenever you make decisions, do it with prayer. Do it with godly counsel. Let the Holy Spirit lead you by your gut Listen to me, if you're going in the wrong direction, the Holy Spirit will check you. Say amen. Amen. We don't go by statistics, we don't go by opinion polls, and we don't go by the whims of culture. Let me say that again. We don't go by statistics, we don't go by opinion polls, and we don't go by the whims of culture. Churches that are doing that or chasing the Holy Spirit out the door, and the next thing to go when the Holy Spirit leaves is their attendance, and the next thing to go after that is the finances, and then they gotta beg for money. And then they're no longer the kingdom of God. So we don't go by culture, we don't go by opinion polls, we don't go by statistics, we go by the leading of the Lord. Well, how does he lead us? We've gotta inquire, and we've gotta listen, and we've gotta do what he says. If you're thinking about David's situation right now and he's out of his own country, he's left everything behind that he loves, he's left family, he's, you know, he's in a land that's foreign to him, he's around idolatrous worship that's got to be uncomfortable for him. If you're sitting there thinking it's not fair that David had to leave and live with these Philistines and leave everything he loved, I want to tell you something, you're exactly right. It's not fair. I want to tell you something else this morning. Life is not fair. And if you think life is going to treat you fair, then you're going to be sadly mistaken. And when it doesn't treat you fair, if you get mad at God and at life, you're going to short circuit your own blessing. Life is not fair. This situation was not fair. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen. There's so many whiners in our country. There's so many complainers in our country. There's so many people who are disenfranchised and upset that they don't have the biggest car and the biggest house and the biggest TV. But even our poor are rich here. Can you turn this up a little bit? They're not responding to me this morning. Even our poor are rich here. Even our poor have cell phones and all this stuff. I mean, you're walking around with a $600 cell phone, you know, on food stamp and Section 8 housing. Come on, I'm preaching this morning. And and we're disenfranchised. Oh, it's not fair. This guy, you know, well, this guy disciplined himself and studied and and worked since, you know, and you're mad and you want his stuff now. What's wrong with us? What happened to us? What happened to rugged individualism? What happened to personal responsibility? I got to be honest with you. If you're not sick and tired of this generation and it's whining, you're part of the problem. 
We got to stop coddling them. They need a Holy Ghost kick in the backside in the job because we got to get moving. You know what the saddest thing is? It even comes into the church. Well, I'm going to just sit down and get comfortable here. They say, oh, that feels good. Yeah, that's nice. Wish they'd turn the air condition up in this place. Let's see what the pastor's got this morning. Entertain us, thrill us, give us something. You did that last week. Don't recap, it's boring. <laughs> we got to have a little fun with this, you know, right? But like, if you think that we're not affected by what's going on around us, the next generation coming up, uh, we, we need to really pray. It wasn't fair what David went through, but he didn't whine, he didn't quit, he didn't get mad at God. He didn't say, I'm not gonna do it, I'm gonna lay in the dirt and let Saul kill me. No, he acted like a man, he stood up, he did what he had to do. He put himself in a place and it was unfair, but listen to me, faith looks past the unfairness and trust in the goodness of God. And that's what we gotta do when life is not fair, we have to look with the eyes of faith past the unfairness and realize God sees what's going on and he's our reward. He's our reward. Some of us are not gonna get our reward till we die. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> but what a day it's gonna be when we fall into the arms of Jesus, amen? And he blesses us and he welcomes us and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah, it was unfair. Yeah, they didn't treat you right. Yeah, they never acknowledged you. Yeah, you did a lot of things that people didn't appreciate, but I saw it all and I'm going to reward it all for eternity. Amen. Verses five through seven. After a time, David appeals to Achish. He says, give me a place to dwell outside of your dwelling place. Now realize, Achish is inconvenienced here. He's taken David into his city. You, you got all these people here that are just, you know, clogging up your streets and, and just, you know, where are you going to put them, where are they going to sleep? I mean, could you imagine having like, you know, I mean, it's 600 fighting men. Let's say there's 1,500 of them, 1,500 house guests, 1,500 people moving into LaGrange town center here. It looked like California, tents and outdoor plumbing. That's the nicest way I can say that. And so Akish, you know, he, he's, he's got them here. He's got them close. He's watching them. He's trying to make sure he's made the right decision. David's group was taxing upon Akish's hospitality. You know, David could feel maybe they're overstaying their welcome. So he asks, you know, do you have a place for us? And he, he gives him a place. He gives him Ziglag. And David goes to Ziglag and he stays there. Now understand this place, Ziglag, is a place that the kings of Judah had kept to that day, the text says. So this territory inside Philistine territory was given to David and he, he puts his group there. Now it says, that he stays there for a year and four months. So it's no short stay. If you had someone come and stay at your house for a year and four months, you get to know him really well. Verses eight and nine. David makes his living while living in Ziglag by raiding. Now, raiding means he would go to other villages, other towns, other places, and you know, these heathen people who were Israel's enemies, he would raid them and take their stuff. Now, it's really, you can't look at what David does to make his living, living among the Philistines, and not be a little uncomfortable with it. Okay, the brutality of that day. I mean, you know, if you, you watch history and you watch, you know, uh, how things were done and even in the Viking periods, the, just the heartlessness of how they killed men, women, and children wiped out everything by the edge of the sword. 
you know, we're so soft, we, you know, we want to trap a skunk in a trap if it's on our lawn. <laughs> Don't hurt it. But the sheer brutality of, of what goes on here, he's raiding the Jeshurites, the Gerzites, the Amalekites, and the methodology of his raiding is so brutal that it's startling. He kills every man and woman, sparing no one. He takes all their stuff, their sheep, their cattle, their donkeys, their camels, their clothes, their crops. He leaves nothing, and he leaves no one. And we're going to find out why he does it this way is because David has an honesty problem. Now it's quiet. Oh, David's a man after God's own heart. He's a good guy. You know, how can you say that? David has an honesty problem that's going to turn into an adultery problem because he has an issue with the ladies as well. Now it's really quiet. You see, the scripture makes it pretty clear that a lot of things that wind up as patterns in our life happen when we cross the line the first time. He's over there raiding. He's over there uh, just killing everyone, leaving no witnesses, no, dead men tell no tales. In verse 10, Achish asked David about who he raids. Now, David is partially honest, which is partially a lie, but he, he tells him in verse 10, now Achish said, where have you made your raid today? And David said, against Negev in Judah, against Nev and the Jeremilites, and against Nev and the Kenites. So he's telling them this place here is a, is a place on the outskirts of Israel. It would be, you know, not Philistine territory. It would be someone that, you know, he could raid and it would, uh, it would be an offense to the Israelites, but not to the Philistines. Now, that's not true. What David was doing was attacking the Philistines' neighbors, unbeknownst to Achish, and he was wiping out entire towns so that Achish would never hear about it. What he was doing was stirring up trouble for the guy who had opened his house up to him. It's quiet again. You know, the Philistines were not a good group, and David's glad that he has refuge there, but he has no affection for them. And, and by the way he's earning his living here, and by the way he's lying to Achish, it shows his heart. You know, he, th these guys probably are just using each other. David is, you know, doing what he needs to do to survive because he's a survivor at this point. And Achish is trying to figure out, is this guy going to be loyal to me or not? In verse 11, David leaves no one alive so they can't tell Achish what had happened. That's the reason. The brutality of how these people groups were judged. Now they were the enemies of Israel and they were the enemies of God. And uh, God had used Israel as an instrument of destruction against them. But still, it's hard to process how you could kill men, women, and children and not be undone mentally. We have soldiers coming back from combat in Iraq and Afghanistan that are just broken mentally. And it's a sad thing to know that more of our soldiers are dying to suicide when they get home than are dying in combat. That is unacceptable. We need to pray about it. We need to do something about it. We need to reach out to our veterans and our government should be doing more. David is doing this crazy raiding here and wiping out people groups and he lies to Achish about it. Now, understand something. Us as New Testament Christians, we could never behave this way. Are you alive out there? Well, we're just going to roll into Canada and we're going to mop it up. <laughs> Tired of them and their maple syrup and their police on horses. No, you see, well, why can't we do that? 
I'll tell you why. Because Old Testament, only the Jews had access to God and all the Gentiles were cut off. And these people were so thoroughly wicked that God would have to look at them and their idolatry and their sexual immorality and their culture and say, the best thing I could do with that is wipe it out before it infects my people. And that's what he did. And understand, that's, that's Old Testament. That's the old covenant. That's the law. In the New Testament, the Gentiles are grafted in. That means there are no people who are categorically bad. So that means everybody has a chance to be saved. There are some cultures that are more perverse than others. And you see how they're blessed nationally as other cultures that are more godly are blessed in different ways. God will judge the nations. It's not, oh, everybody's perfect and good. Everybody's got a chance to be saved. So we don't go wiping out people because we should be praying that they would repent and come to God and be saved. (laughs) Think about some of us, how we behaved before we came to Jesus. Aren't we thankful that God didn't hit us with a Holy Ghost lightning bolt? Amen. Amen. So this Old Testament stuff can be hard to wrap your mind around, but just realize it's a different covenant. And be thankful for the covenant that we're in, that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved, amen? That there's no difference between Jew and Greek and barbarian, but all of us can come to to the Lord through Jesus Christ. So David conceals his behavior and uh, understand while he's in Ziglag doing all these things, he's kind of pulling the wool over Achish's eyes You know, I'm not sure how long he's going to be able to conceal this, but what he basically does is he lies to Achish. Now, this lying behavior, if you study in the book of Psalms, David uh, will many times in a psalm ask the Lord to deliver him from lying lips or deliver him from lying spirit. This is David. This is a man after God's own heart. has Has a problem with telling the truth. It's a pattern where he conceals his behavior with lies. Now you say, where is that going to manifest again? It's going to manifest in in a very explosive way when he deals with Bathsheba. He's going to do something that is totally immoral and he's going to try and conceal his behavior with lies. He's going to try and get Uriah to come home and, you know, go into his wife so it's not discovered that David impregnated her. Come on, I'm just, I'm preaching a word this morning, amen. You know, you're like, is it rated R this morning? Should we have brought the kids? Yeah, this is the Bible, okay? I understand. He, he does this. What, he lies to conceal his be, bad behavior. He lies to conceal his bad behavior. He does it with the priest. He does it with Achish. He does it with Bathsheba. It's a pattern in his life. You see those little lines that we cross that become sin, that then become a pattern, that then destroy our testimony. Wow. God help us. Even David, a man after God's own heart, he had issues. All of us have issues. And listen, there are certain lines we should not cross. There used to be an old expression, it's hard to get the tigers back in the cage when you let them out. You ever, you ever let the tiger out of the cage? You cross the line of sin? I mean, think about people who are in addiction, that they wish they never took that first hit, that first puff, that they wish they never crossed that line. But some lines, once you cross, they're hard to uncross. David's lying behavior is going to follow him, and it's going to be an issue with him. And what starts off as small becomes a pattern and finally explodes into full-blown adultery and murder. It doesn't get any uglier than that. Verse 12, while David did attack some places in Judah, 
notice, you know, he tells a partial truth, and that's the devil's MO. The devil takes mostly truth and mixes a lie in with it. Yeah, that's what he does. And that's what, you know, we do. We tell mostly the truth, and then we just mix a little bit of spin in it. And that's what David did here, because he did attack certain places on the outskirts of Judah. He attacked, in particular, the place where the Ziphites dwelled. Who remembers the Ziphites? The Ziphites were the ones who stirred up trouble for David. And so what did he do? He's like, oh, okay, you want to tell Saul where I am? I got a little something for you. So realize, so, you know, David could be vindictive too. David could be, you know, he would not touch Saul. But remember, he didn't monkey around with other people. Look what he did with Nabal. Look, look at how David's got a short fuse and sometimes he likes it himself. So Achish sees, you know, him attacking Judah and places on the outskirts of Israel and the Ziphites. He sees that as David forever cutting himself off from his people. He says, He's making himself odious. That's a fancy word for saying, you know, these guys are never going to accept him back. They're never going to take him as king. He's isolated himself from his own people, so now I got him. He's mine. He's going to serve me because he's got no place else to go. See how these guys, there's a lot of moving pieces going on here. There's a lot of, you know, posturing, and there's, a, there's all of these things going on, and uh, Achish thinks he's got David. Da- David's pulling the wool over Achish's eyes. It's not a good situation, but David is surviving. He's a survivor. And I understand that. Something clicked off in him, tired of running, tired of being pursued, tired of sparing Saul. Something clicked off in him. He was willing now, as a survivor, to cross lines, to blur lines, and even sometimes smash the lines if he had to, to survive. That's a bad place to be. Remember in life, just because we're in a bad spot or we've suffered from some unfairness in life doesn't give us the license to behave badly. Come on, I see this all the time. Well, you know, they did this to me, so I'm going to stick it to them. Or, you know, my spouse doesn't meet my needs, so I'm going to step out on my marriage. Come on, I'm just preaching truth this morning. Just because someone treats us unfairly doesn't excuse our bad behavior. But boy, do we like to use it to justify our bad behavior. Lines crossed often become destructive patterns and follow us through life. They hurt us and they hurt others. Not crossing the lines is the best policy. Some of David's behavior here in Ziglag, some of David's behavior here in Akesh is going to follow him all through his life as king. Some of it's ugly and it's going to produce ugly fruit. Yet God's grace is upon him He's chosen, he's anointed, he's in a hard place, and he's trying to survive. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I pray for each of us this morning. If we find ourselves in hard places in life, if we find ourselves in relationships that are difficult, or dealing with toxic people in the workplace, or in the neighborhood, or in the family, Father, help us to maintain our faith in you, and not to be so overcome with the unfairness of life. Father, I pray for us as a church, I pray for the church at large, that we wouldn't look at the unfairness of the world and and allow it to be a license for us to blur the lines, to even incorporate sin into our own lives, and then to justify it. Father, I pray for this generation coming up that is just constantly bombarded with it's not your fault and it's not fair and you shouldn't have to and they should give it to you for free. 
Father, help this generation to rise above the lies of the enemy that would want to destroy their potential and destroy their talent. Father, the biggest sin is wasted talent. God, help us to be what we are to be in the kingdom, not to sit on the sidelines and make excuses and wait for other people to do what we're called to do. Mobilize your people today. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him praise this morning. Amen. Next time we're in this, chapter 28, it's going to be real exciting. Saul is so disconnected from God, he goes to visit a medium. He visits a witch at Endor to get insight and uh, an explosive chapter that has a lot of implications for us. So I encourage you to stay tuned, stay in the word. And uh, be excited for what God is doing. We're going to take an offering this morning. I want you to just come and sow whatever the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. And then we're going to bless you and turn you loose. Nice sneakers.